we do have time for a very short Q&A, and I would still like to take the chance and the privilege of asking the first question. And I was actually thinking before Oveta's sort of like uh, how to navigate the world talk uh, to ask about how we can sort of allow for AI to exist and without having to embrace it fully, but sort of like in a modern ludit kind of saying that there are certain aspects we like and don't like, but I feel like you kind of showed that. So instead I'm kind of like want to focus on one aspect of AI and also that was opening a bit in, in Sasha's uh, opening remarks this morning. It's like, how do we move away from that the AI uh, by default goes for the privileged, but actually how can we start with marginalized, less privileged, because I feel like default currently is AI works great if you fit whatever is the large data set or whatever. Um, but as soon as you are outside that, you are actually underprivileged. And I feel like it's a little bit, they are marginalized people are then told, oh, you just have to wait and see, and we will train it and we'll learn better, right? And I feel it would be very empathic if we could reverse that. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to go ahead. Okay, all of this is designed. So that means it can be redesigned. Perfect. And it's really about the creator and the designer. I think having co-participatory design, so if you're, you're in the design field, but I, I'm, I'm really excited by Polynesians using AI to preserve their, their language, their indigenous language. People in, in, in Kenya using AI to preserve their um, a cultural uh, understanding. Uh, generative AI, uh, to me, helps to de democratize AI because now you can control it with your thoughts, your mind, by prompting it to tell you what to do. It's still owned by corporations. I work for one of those. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you can't use this, this technology. And so I am, uh, they never should let me in the door because the first thing I do is try to take the black box and make the glass box. So once you understand how it works, then you can create and use that technology and democratize it um, uh, within your own community. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. Uh, I think one of one of the big things I've been focusing on is that black box. Um, and so what we see is that when people don't know how the black black box is working, they make assumptions about it. Um, and those assumptions are another opportunity for bias to seep in. So just bias compounding on bias. And so the more that we can get towards transparency about how these systems work, then people can actually um, lean into the systems and, and use the systems in the way that best support them. But... Um, Coming from a sort of design background myself, I also think that participatory design is, is always the way to go. And I think that what we need to do is shift from testing um, with sort of the general public by default to testing always with the people that have historically been at the margins and bring the margins to the center in our testing of these technologies, right? So you're, you're not testing out, oh, hey, how is this working for my, for my wife, my colleague? You're testing out, how is this working for the wheelchair user who has historically not been able to come into this room? Um, so that's sort of my, my personal mindset in, in developing these tools. Yeah, if I should add anything to that, perhaps also to when we talk about medical AI, for example, to properly test it within different communities of its application before putting it into actual work. Because I think that is a very important point that is often tend to be skipped. Um, but otherwise, I could just echo the, the very important point of seeing the humans in the data, you know, and actually not just talk about AI and technology as something that is uh, 
separated from humans, but actually see the humans in the technology and in the data and see that there are no raw data. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to ask you for one question. It has to be a short one. If you have a short question, you may raise your hand. There is one, it's a very short, it's also not so high up, so <laughs> it's a very promising question. A name and then question. Yeah. Hi, I'm uh, Michael. What can regulators do to improve participation in the way that you're suggesting? Well, I think regulators first need to go to school. <laughs> I, I, I think they need to know the difference between, you know, WhatsApp and Instagram and, and AI and ML. And, and, and when I say go to school, I mean go to school into the communities who are adapting these technologies and, and using these technologies. I mean, black Twitter is something to, to be reckoned with, right? Like, so so getting, touching, getting in touch with their communities and the concerns that their communities have about these technologies is really good to place to start. I think regulators tend to, I used to work for a bank too, so I'm the harbinger of doom at Google because I'm like, I know what's coming, y'all. Like, y'all don't have this yet, but it's coming. And so regulators tend to kind of like go to the extreme. Um, and, and, and I think it, it might be time for that. Like, it might be time for, for regulators to, to take a, um, I won't say heavier hand, but at least, you know, not ignore it anymore. Um, here in Europe, it's, it's much better, than, I think, than the United States because you guys are focusing on the data privacy side, and the, and the data side is where, where really um, um, the value and gold is. And so the more that we can look at privacy concerns, copyright concerns, uh, 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 data concerns, the, the better we have a handle on, on model making and, and model outcomes. Thank you. Oveta, Laura, Charlotte.